Good evening, Internet audience, and welcome to This Heretical Life. I am your host, Brian Thomas, and as always, I am joined by my much handsomer-sounding co-host, Adam Leggett. Adam, good evening. Good evening, Brian. How's it going? It's going well. I just realized this is episode 21 of the podcast, and so if a podcast is as old as its episode count, our podcast is now old enough to drink. Mm. So I do not have a drink with me. I was just gonna say to maybe I should go get this. maybe I should go get some scotch now that you say that. I, maybe so. I if I had realized this beforehand, we could have coordinated it and we could have right. had had a stiff drink uh, uh close by. But um anyway, episode twenty one. It's it's uh kinda neat. Kinda neat to get into the uh start the third uh third decade of uh, of podcast episodes. Yeah, for sure. So, um, this we're recording this Monday, uh, July the 5th. So I hope you had a great 4th of July weekend. We spent part of it together. Saturday, we got together, uh, our families and, uh, a slew of my siblings and siblings, spouses and children. And, uh, but I hope your July the 4th was, uh, was great and memorable as well. Did you yeah. perchance watch one of the films that we had discussed as a great 4th of July film on 4th of July? I, I did not. So for those that, have heard that episode and can recall I I picked well one of the main ones I'd picked was Forrest Gump and I thought about it but then I realized that I I'd watched it not too long ago and I was just I don't know just didn't really feel like watching a three-hour movie yeah because uh, it can be it's a little long we did we watched so <laughs> we ended up watching signs which is not patriotic at all but um Good movie, but it was though. it was it was a good movie. So, I mean, what about you? you? Uh, I did not. Um, I thought about it, but I was up very, very late uh, Saturday night um, with someone who was over at my house smoking cigars, and then didn't leave until right. close to midnight. <laughs> very uncharacteristic. How of this rude! <laughs> I would, so, I would, I would never do that to you, Brian. <laughs> I, I, it, it was. Uh, I know you wouldn't, which makes you know Saturday so much odder because it sure looked like you uh, <laughs> but i mean we had a great time saturday but all that to say i ended up like taking a nap sunday afternoon which i don't normally do and then did watch a movie sunday night uh while kelly took my oldest to watch uh, to the fireworks spectacular at the walmart amphitheater but it was just me and so i wanted to watch something that i wouldn't usually watch if kelly was there and kelly doesn't like mm. scary movies so i watched the shining Okay, um, and it was it was good. It was just a technically a fantastic film. Uh, I'm a fan of Stephen King's books, and I, I didn't really feel like it was that great of an adaptation of the book itself. Mm. Um, my, my criticism can mostly be summed up with: it's hard for me to believe that the hotel is driving Jack Nicholson crazy when I'm pretty sure he was crazy when he went up there. Right, um, and I think that's just a little bit of, of Jack Nicholson, like, and that was. Um, it's the age old. It's the age old question, right? Did it drive him to be crazy, or did it just bring out the crazy that was already there? Yeah, yeah. And it's I kind of like it's kind of like money and evil and power and whatnot. A little know? bit, and and I think Kubrick in this, in the film wanted to sort of pose that question, like, all right, is the is the hotel really driving um, Jack and Wendy crazy? Uh, mostly Jack, or is it just sort of the solitude there is bringing out this 
like craziness in Jack and sort of repressed trauma in Wendy from being married to someone who's an abusive alcoholic. So in and of itself, it's, it's, it's well done. Um, but in the book, which is not one of, in, in my opinion, not one of King's best and not really one of my favorite works. Uh, it's very clear that Jack is, you know, at heart, he's a pretty good, pretty decent guy, um, trying to do what's right. And, and the hotel does drive him crazy. That part is not really in the film at all, in part because the first time you see Jack Nicholson in the film, you're like, oh, yeah, he's crazy already. Because sure. uh, he just he looks like Jack Nicholson, right, who kind right. of has that. Uh, he's a fantastic actor. Uh, and Shelley Duvall as Wendy was, was fantastic. But uh, all that to say, no, I did not watch one of my um, featured Fourth of July films. I watched, right. I watched Jack Nicholson try to murder his family in a hotel. Uh, kind of carrying on this note, it, what is, is there a film that you feel like is an excellent representation of the book upon which it's based? Hmm. That is a good question. And not, not, is it a good film, but is it a good adaptation of the book? A good adaptation of the book. Um, I felt like, um, Maybe so not, not not as much the second one, and I and I only watched the first of the two third films uh, in the Hunger Games trilogy mm, quadru- mm-hmm. quadrupology quadrupology. Right. Um, but I did feel like the first one, the Hunger Games, um, did do a good job of adapting the book. Um, yeah. And Catching Fire was a ton of fun, but the first one I felt like captured a lot of what is in the book. Gotcha. Um, as far as the way um, Gary Ross, I believe it was, filmed it, and um, the whole the whole way it's filmed is sort of a little off-putting and off-settling. Like it's it's not filmed in a real traditional way. It's the the shot composition sort of keeps you on the edge of your seat, or at least it did me as the viewer. Um, and I felt like that was really true to the book. And the book is with mm-hmm. Katniss is she's always on edge. You don't know what's coming next. And so that's one that I feel like even the way it was shot did a really good job of capturing uh, some essence of the book that can sometimes be hard to translate to screen because you're going from one medium of communication to another. And what can really be strongly communicated in a book is not always going to be what's strongly communicated in a film. Right. And I thought he did a really good job of that one. Um, I wonder I wonder if there's a connection to cause I was thinking about I, I thought about the Hunger Games and I also thought about Harry Potter. Uh, I wonder if there's a connection between the length of time between when the book is released and when the films are adapted, uh, or when the book is adapted into film. However, you're supposed to say that because you have something like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, for instance. They're great. Like, well, the Lord of the Rings is a great film, or they're great films, but there are some key like character differences Mm -hmm. and the direction of some uh, story arcs and things like that are like very different and completely like off key from the books. Whereas with the hunger games, Harry Potter, these books are coming out almost at the same time as the movies are being released, Mm -hmm. or at least very, very closely. It's the same, it's the same group of people that are reading the books and then turning around and wanting to go watch the movies yeah, uh, where you may have a details that are different, like, uh, you know, this line's given to this character instead of a different character because of pacing or 
you know, you've got to readjust some things for the film, but by and large, the characters have the same attributes and the same uh, story arcs and the same drive. The movie kind of has the same motivation and uh, begins and ends, and you end up with the same type of feel, I guess. Yeah, yeah. To the, to the that story. makes sense. That makes sense. Just um, kind of a random thought, but I, I don't know. The, the, the obvious rejoinder to that is The Shining, which did come out fairly soon after the book was released. Um, okay. But I do think it seems like you, you might be more likely to get a, a closer adaptation of the book in a film that's made sort of in that same cultural moment. Mm-hmm. than you would be if it were to be made, you know, decades after the book was released, right. like was in the case with The Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit, um, which coincidentally, like, have you ever watched, like, the animated films, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit? Uh, I watched The Hobbit. Yes, um, the, animated, the animated version of The Hobbit. Because uh, I know some, I know a couple of people that really like the books and really love those movies and, like, don't really care for the Peter Jackson ones, even The Lord of the Rings. Because they don't mm-hmm. like the changes that he made and feel like that really did sort of sacrifice really important aspects sure. of the book. So I didn't know if you had seen them and, and what your thought was was on that, because those would have been made much closer to the release of the books than obviously sure. the Peter Jackson yeah, films. The Hobbit, the Hobbit for sure, uh, the animated one has much more of a childlike fairy tale feel to it, mm. uh, which Peter Jackson's did not at all. No. Um, the animated one is, well, it's one movie, and it's only like a little over an hour, I think. So it, it's a much faster pace, which is the way the book is written. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like some of the motivation and some of the things that, like Thorne Oakenshield and Bilbo and the things that they kind of go through are probably more adequately represented in the in the animated one, for sure. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Okay. Um, you definitely see it, but the new one. Yeah, well, I, I haven't seen them, so I was just wondering anyway, if those, so. if those sort of uh, were evidence to support your your theory there, because I, I I think there's probably some credence to that. It would uh, it would make sense. Um, but anyway, we've talked for like ten minutes, and we haven't even talked about our subject matter. Hey. Um, uh, so you know, it's rather like a sermon that I would preach back in the day, where I'd get decent ways into it before I'd actually get around to talking about what I was supposed to be talking about. Um, but that was a fun discussion, but you know, there probably are some people that's just been hitting the 30 second skip forward button waiting for us to get to the point. Uh, <laughs> so today, uh, Adam, we're talking about, um, sort of our experience of community in the Orthodox church for me and the Catholic church for you. And how does that compare or not compare to our experience of community in the Baptist churches we were raised in. And this question comes from a listener, actually. Um, very exciting. Uh, Tori LePue, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm butcher your name, Tori LePue, uh, who is um, someone that I know from college, not from current college, or not even from recent college, but from college way back yonder in the day when I went to Bryan College um, as, a, uh, as a freshman uh, back in <laughs> 2007. So, um, 13 going on 14 years ago. In fact, I turned 20 
while I was there and um, and going to turn 34 in October. So uh, this, nice. this, this was a bit of a, a blast, uh, a blast from the past when when Tori reached out and asked um, asked a question about what our sort of experience in, in community um, has been like. Let's, let's dive into that and, and let's start. Usually we kind of start with what it was like as a Baptist versus what is, what it is like now. I kind of think it, it makes sense mm-hmm. to go backwards on this one um, and sort of sketch out what our experience is or what our expectation is as far as community in our respective traditions now, and then talk a, a little bit about what it was like, um, when, uh, when we were Baptist. So, um, you, you want to, you want to dive in a little bit? You've been Catholic longer than I've been Orthodox though. Sure. Um, and we've both, and, and one thing about this is like, we've both moved like, um, you know, right. we were Baptist and, 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 and we had an opportunity to kind of put down roots and, and form a, a community with people and, and be there for years. And we've both moved, mm-hmm. um, at least once that uh, you may have moved twice, um, since you joined the Catholic church. So I feel like our experience, what it is now, and then sort of what our expect, that's why I want to talk about our expectation as well. Cause I think what we've sure. experienced up to this point probably isn't quite up to what we expect it to be when we've had a little bit more of an opportunity to become established in one local community rather than, than moving around like we both have done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so when I became Catholic, I was living in El Dorado, Arkansas, and I became really good friends with the priest there, Father Eddie, who listens to this podcast. So shout out to Father Eddie. Uh, and he was the one that was my sponsor coming into the church. We to dinner a few. I mean, you know, we would hang out occasionally outside of of church, and it was kind of through him that I began to meet other Catholics and within the, you know, in the church and, uh, kind of start to, you know, learn names and get to where I could recognize people in Walmart and say, Hey, you know, how's it going? <laughs> Not that's, you know, the pinnacle of community or anything, but still you got to start somewhere. Gotta start somewhere. Uh, and then when I married, uh, when I married Jessica, she was really good about, uh, wanting to have people over for, you know, for dinner and play board games and things like that. Cause she's awesome. And so again, Father Eddie, our neighbor, things like that. Sometimes after church, we'd have coffee, what have you. But it wasn't long after I joined the church even that I got married. And then after getting married, we moved to Fort Smith. And then it wasn't but a year after we moved to Fort Smith that COVID happened. And so now we're, you know, that that kind of gets thrown into the mix of, of all sorts of things. Um I mean, you add on top of that, and, and I, I don't want to say this and sound like a, I don't want to, I don't want to become a person that has a martyr's complex, but I, I do tend to be very traditionally minded when it comes to how I see the Catholic faith and how I'd like to, you know, live out the Catholic faith and how mm. I, you know, want to, to express that in celebrating the liturgy and those types of things. And so sometimes it, it does feel a little difficult even when everything does line up right and there's not a pandemic and 
you're not moving and all this kind of stuff where it can feel even then like you're a little isolated um, because most churches are not full of incredibly traditionally minded Catholics. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it can feel like you go to a Bible study or somebody help, asks you to help with RCIA or something along those lines. And, and I always feel probably fault of my own, but I always feel a little apprehensive because I'm like, well, if you ask me to talk about my experience or what I think about X, Y, and Z, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it may be a little more radical than what the RCIA director normally says to their, their class or, <laughs> or what have you. And if people want those details, I'm sure we'll get all, you know, into some of those issues as time goes by. But I think, I think it's really important for anybody that's becoming Catholic to to not realize and, and I hear this orthodox, oh I'm sorry I... <laughs> <laughs> to to realize that as a as a Protestant coming into the Catholic faith most of the time the things that you're attracted to and that you find most beautiful are things that are not prevalent anymore they're here and so I'm not saying don't don't come for them like but like incredibly beautiful um, liturgies and reverence before church and after church where people come in and are quiet and they pray. Those types of things are not as prevalent as they once were in the life of the church in this season. I, I think they're coming back. There's a lot of young people coming to the Catholic church that want a more traditional way of uh, understanding their faith. Mm. And so there's a rise of that view uh, in the church, but around here, your average parish, they don't have a high middle ages view of Catholic life and worship, right? So if you're a Protestant that's looking at the Catholic faith, most of the time, the people that you're going to come in contact with that attract you to it, or the apologists that you hear that kind of draw you to this are people that go to, or that either they go to or they have a, a great deal of respect for the traditional Latin mass. Um, and when they talk about church history, right, they're talking about the, the history of the church for the last 2000 years, not just the last 40 or 50. Right. Right. So there's a lot about this, this faith and this tradition that you're attracted to and you're kind of drawn to. And then sometimes you kind of get into the midst of what parish life is actually like. And for us, Jessica and I, it can feel a little bit of a, like a little bit of a, of a downer. And I'm not trying to discourage anybody. I'm just trying to say that sometimes it's a little harder to find those groups of people that you feel like you click with and that you see things the same way uh, and that you, you know, you're, you're trying to live out the convictions of your faith in your everyday life because well, just like in Baptist circles, honestly, there's a lot of people that come to church and that come to church on Sundays and maybe even during the week every once in a while. But in the every day of their life, they don't live out their faith. Mm. And so it it can feel a little daunting because you get this vision of the Catholic church as this thing that's traditional and strong, which it is both of those things. But when you get into the midst of it, you realize that it's full of people, just like any other church of any other denomination. 
And so what she can be and what she's capable of being is there and it's great. It's grand. It's, it's amazing. But finding those groups of people that also love the grand and the traditional and the amazing things that, that I fell in love with, it can be difficult depending on where you're at. And so for us, we, we've gone to a couple of Bible studies that our church offers. Gasp. I know Catholic Church offering Bible study. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but it's true. The trick, you get there and there's no Bibles. Catholics <laughs> don't have them or know what they are. Uh, um, I, I just picture like uh, like some scene from, uh, oh, I forget the, the film, but it's bunch of woodland creatures gathered around something they don't they don't know what it is and they're just like poking at it with a stick and stuff that's that's the catholic bible study the bible is in the middle of the room and right. all the catholics are like what is it what is it <laughs> excuse me um so i would say that for us the most va- valuable piece of advice i could give anybody looking for catholic community in the, in the parish that you end up finding yourself in is become friends with and love your priest. Mm. Uh, have them over to the house, eat dinner with them, talk about your heart, how you see things, where you're at, get a feel for, for um, his views on things and figure out if this parish is the right, the right fit, right? Because everything rises and falls on leadership so even if you don't see eye to eye, he still deserves your respect and your love. So take the time to get to know him. And if if there's some things that are, you know, really going to bother you about the way he views certain things, well, most places have more than one parish unless you're in a really small town. And the Catholic Church allows you to go to whichever parish you'd like, right? It's, it's not something that you know, in days gone by, it probably would have been more important, right? This like small, you know, when you can't, when all you've got is a horse and buggy and you can't really go very far for church, well, right. then sure, you're kind of limited. But in the age in which we live, you can drive five more minutes and find another church. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to condone church hopping, but I'm just trying to say that you, um, you know, it's, it's important to find a place that not necessarily preferences, but the things that you genuinely feel convicted about, find the priest that is within the distance you're willing to travel that most lines up with where you're at and then just become friends with him, you know, invite him to coffee, invite him over to your house to have dinner. He will end up like, it's the best conduit I've found to find other people of like mind. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because he'll introduce you to people. You won't be the only person that uh, sees things the way you see them that has gotten to know the priest. So he'll, he'll be able to make those connections and help you find a place, um, help you find a group of people that, uh, you know, love the Lord. And also I, I think that for me, a lot of the people that I've find myself communing with, uh, at this point because of technology and things like that, I mean, they, they live on the other side of the state or, uh, something along those lines. And I still, you know, talk to them every week and we, you know, read through books together and we talk and, uh, encourage one another in our faith and um, our desire to love Jesus and love our neighbor. So, and I'll I, I add also to this that one of the key differences between Catholicism and Protestantism, and we've talked about this before, but in, in Protestantism, the thing that everything revolves around is the scriptures. 
And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's largely like knowledge-based, right? Yeah. It's a bunch of yeah. Bible studies and things like that. In the Catholic Church, there, I, I would argue there's a far more, like, when it's, when it's healthy, there's a far more holistic view of what the faith means, and it centers around the liturgy, right? Centers around the bread and the, and the wine. And so our, our primary focus as Christians within the Catholic tradition is to love Jesus, to draw close to him through the sacraments, and not, not to sound depressing, but... To burn fr- heretics. That is depressing. When yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the friendships and all that other kind of stuff that comes along with that, it's, it's not... It's not the end. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's not the end of, of what we're trying to pursue. So it's nice when it's there, and, and we love it, and it's great when you find those friends that see things the same way, and you know, you're pursuing the same stuff together. It's awesome. Yeah. Like it's, it's such an encouragement, and, and take advantage of those moments when you come across them, because they're, they can turn into beautiful things. When they exist, they should exist to drive you to the sacraments. Right, because that's where we find, that's where we that's where we come in contact with Jesus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, it community is not the end. I'm not saying it's not good and beautiful. It is, and I I I, I totally get the question. Um, but I just would I would ha- I would want to encourage you, uh, listeners, whoever you may be, that, you know, when when you when you come into the Catholic Church, there are going to be a lot of things that are different between Catholicism and Protestantism. Um, Catholics do not do community, quote unquote, uh, as well as a lot of Protestants do. But that's not why we become Catholic. Right. Right. So, um, I'm not trying to disparage the question either. Right. I, no, so no. I, I, don't, I, think I don't mean for that to come across. I think, but I think there's also a difference between community and friendship. Like you've talked about friendship, and I think. I think the, the, the Protestant or even, or I'll just say Baptist view of church community is friendship. Like, oh, I like these people and I want to go hang around them and be friends with mm-hmm. them. And, and that's good, but, but that's not really community either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let me ask a question of you real quick, because this came up, Kelly and I were talking with a couple of friends uh, about this, about, about our, our journey to orthodoxy. And, and this sort of topic came up and, and I welcomed it because it kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of flesh out, well, what am I going to say when we talk about this in the podcast? So let me ask you this question. Based on what you've said then, I think I know the answer, but let me ask it. Is it easier or have you, did you find it easier to make friends at your Baptist church than it is at the Catholic church? At the church itself? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It was definitely easier at, at the Protestant church. And for a couple of reasons, I think. One, because um, Protestantism at its core, I think everybody kind of knows that it's really hard to, well, not that we don't do it or didn't do it, but it's, it's much more open-ended, right? When it comes to key beliefs and things like that, there's a lot mm. more flexibility on a lot of things because it's Protestantism. 
right? Like, <laughs> like it's just, I mean, you can, you can say, okay, there's some things that as a church, we all have to agree on, but at the end of the day, it's, it's me and my Bible. Right. right. And so there's a part of you that's like, well, you know, I mean, I've got my Bible, he's got his, you know, we'll just talk about it and move on. Um, and although there is a lot of flexibility within Catholicism on certain things, there's also a very much more dogmatic attitude about sure. a lot of stuff that, that does divide. And it's, it's hard to reconcile and you have to wrestle through that kind of stuff. But also, and I think it comes back to something you said a minute ago, but it's also because like my whole life was in the Baptist world, right? Mm. Like I, it was, I, I'm still very much new to Catholic life. And yeah. I mean, relatively, you know, I, I spent 26 years as Baptist, mm. uh, making friends and connections and, um, you know, having some, a lot of commonalities and knowing how things worked and what my place was. And when I could, you know, you know so like, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if well, that makes sense. But no, I think it I, does. I'm, I'm, I'm um, still learning. I'm still learning a lot of the ropes for sure. Sure, you know how, and every and every parish is different too. But like you know, in the in the Baptist churches I was raised in, either they were really small, like country style churches, where everybody knew everybody, and so you know, and they were your family a lot of times too. So <laughs> you know, and or they were larger churches that had youth groups and college groups and right. you know every every age group, every kind of niche that you can think of had its own group. So you could, you could very easily look at this list or find somebody that would say, Hey, you fall into these categories. So here's your list of places, you know, you can go and, and sit down. And a lot of Catholic churches don't have anything like that. Yeah. They, they have the occasional Bible study or they have a youth group, but it's not, it's not nearly as uh, focused. And I think Baptist churches at least, and, and I would say other Protestant churches as well, but especially Baptist churches, by their very nature, have to be more attractional. And there's a real, um, like, if you're looking for a Baptist church to attend, like if you moved up to Fort Smith, you know, or you moved up to Fayetteville and you're Baptist, there's going to be, like, 30 different ones that you can go visit until you find one that you just feel mm. comfortable in. Sure. And sure. you mentioned like if, you know, unless it's a small town, there's probably more than one cath, you know, more than one parish there. Um, you know, orthodoxy. Well, yeah. Uh, that that's or, a good point. Like in Fort in Fort Smith, which is a pretty large city for the state of Arkansas. Yeah. We have we have three Catholic parishes. Three Catholic parishes. And how many there, Baptist churches are there? Oh, there's there's tons. Yeah. So Like do, li- literally dozens. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. I remember one uh, years ago uh, someone quote a statistic, uh, this was back when I was in Fort Smith, I don't know if it's true, that there were like 70 Baptist churches in Fort Smith. And there may wow. be more now. And, and you know, like Fort Smith and, and right around the area. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to one and you don't like it and you don't feel comfortable there, you don't really connect with people there, you know, you, you just, you don't, you don't go to that one anymore. You go to a different right. one. Sure. There's... Uh, and so the other day when someone asked me kind of the same question that Tori asked about the community, um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what it's been like for us in, in the Orthodox Church. It's similar to, to what you said with, with your experience in the Catholic Church, but they asked, they asked kind of about community. It's like, yeah, it's harder um, 
for, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, when we were in South Arkansas, when we started this journey, we were like an hour and a half, two hours away from the nearest Orthodox church. So we didn't right. go as often as we would like. It was a wonderful group of people. We loved being there around them when we were there, but we didn't get to go that often. And how, how are you going to hang out with those people during the week? Or yeah, like, yeah, well, you, you, yeah, you can't. Find a running buddy or something. Like yeah. you just can't, you can't do it if they're two hours away. Right. And even here, now we're about half an hour away from the Orthodox Church. And obviously, it's, we, we're there, you know, pretty much every Sunday unless there's sickness or something. But we still don't see the people there all that often. They're mostly right. in the Rogers area. And we're, we're in Fayetteville. And our, our paths just don't cross that often. Um, and uh, and there's a, there's a lot of wonderful people there. We've, we've developed a really good relationship with the priest and, and his family. But we kind of similar to you, like we were just kind of getting comfortable there and around mm-hmm. the people, um, and getting to know them and, and with orthodoxy, um, I don't think this is the case as much with Catholicism, but, uh, in orthodoxy uh, in America, anyway, if you go to an orthodox church, most of the people there, especially if it's an, an OCA parish like ours is orthodox church of America, most of the people there are going to be converts. Right. Whereas I think if you go to a Catholic church, you're going to have a lot of cradle Catholics, a lot of people that were raised Catholic. Sure. If you were to go to like a Greek or a Russian Orthodox church in certain areas of the U.S., you'd probably have that as well. But there's such a diversity of, well, there's diversity of background. We have people from different nationalities and different ethnicities. But then everyone's trip kind of, of how they got to Orthodoxy is different. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so... On the one hand, we have this point of commonality with everyone there that we're all Orthodox and that we all kind of more or less chose Orthodoxy after having spent some time in a different tradition or in atheism or in Buddhism or Hinduism or something like that. But the, but like our trips there have been very different and they don't always create a lot of points of commonality as far as like, oh, yeah, well, we both we both reach the same conclusion because we both thought Baptist polity was off. Oh no, that's not why you joined. Okay. Well, and so it, right. it's, it has been a, like just contrasting this and it's not going to be a perfect comparison, but just contrasting this with East Maine, when I, when we joined there to be the pastor, like we, we made really quick connections with a lot of folks in part, we saw them a lot more. Um, I was their pastor. They wanted to connect with me and it, it's been different. Like not because anyone at at our our church is like difficult or hard to get along with or or rude or unkind. Maybe it's part of it's the distance, and then part of it is like we had just kind of gotten to know each other and we didn't see each other for like a year. Right. Um, and now we're kind of back at the point where we're starting to feel like we're making connections with people again. Our our kids have had it a little easier. There's a ton of kids there, and they're connecting with the kids a lot faster than then uh, Kelly and I have connected with uh, adults, especially me, because I'm, I'm not a particularly extroverted person. But all that to say, like community for us, like it's, it's requires more deliberation right. here than it did like we were when we were Baptist. And I think part of that is when you're Baptist, a little bit of if, if you don't feel comfortable at a church and you don't feel like it's friendly towards you and who you are and you don't feel welcome, you just don't go there. You go somewhere sure. else and you don't have that buffet of options when you're Catholic or Orthodox. Sure. Um, 
like especially if you're like in El Dorado where, where you used to be and there's one Catholic church in El Dorado or there was one Catholic church in Camden and you don't get along with a priest that well or you think he's a little quirky and, and the people there aren't your type. Well, you can't just up and go to the Presbyterian church um, because because you can't, you know, Catholicism and Orthodoxy are, are just, are so distinctive from Protestantism that you're sort of, you're sort of stuck with who you got, you know? And if it's a great community and that's fantastic, but if it's, if it's not, if it's a bunch of people that are very different from you and you have a hard time connecting with, and when you have, try to have a conversation, uh, you realize, oh, we're on two different ends of the spectrum on this topic, on this social topic or this political topic, you, you, you just, you, you have to stick it out. And, um, and so this, this kind of circles back around to what you said about friendship earlier. Um, and, and, and that's why I kind of was like, well, I want to draw a distinction between friendship and community because I feel like we have a community at our church our Orthodox church although there's not anyone there that I'm really like, I like them. They're, they're good people. I don't want sure. to insult anyone who's listening, yeah. but like, if you're asking me like, who's your best friend at church? Like, I don't, I don't know that I have one. Um, right. Like Jeff's a great guy. George is, is fantastic. He's got, he's got great stories and, and his, his life story is, is really great. Um, like, uh, like Michael Land and his family are, are, are I'm going to insult people now because they don't know their names. But like, oh, well, who's your friend? Like, who are you going to call when you to go running with you? It's like, well, I don't even know who goes running there. Right. Um, right. You know, who are you going to go hang out with? It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what any of those people would like to do when they when they go hang out. Sure. Um, you know, and can I can I say, too, like, again, my wife is is amazing with this. So kudos to Jessica. But. And I know it can be intimidating, if especially if you're new. But I think that we have lost the ability in our culture to take initiative when it comes to building friendships, mm. uh, largely, anyway. And I, I would just say, like, you know, ha- have like invite somebody over to dinner. Like, don't don't be afraid to be the one that takes that initiative. Right. Right. Even if you're new, um, you see somebody that, like. Or, or maybe somebody introduces themselves as you're you're going out, you know, of the church. You know, maybe this is maybe it's going to be way more than they ever signed up for. They were probably just shaking your hand, saying good morning. But just <laughs> just be like, hey, I'm new here, and I'm I'm trying to to meet some people. Would you be up for like meeting for coffee? Or you know, if if my wife and I had you know, if we grilled burgers this weekend, would y'all care to come over for for burgers? You know, like just just like don't be afraid to to take that that step. Um, I, th- I think that might be really helpful too, because, you know, pe- everybody's busy. And especially if you're in a larger parish or you're attending a larger parish, it's just so easy to get lost. Yeah. And it's not anybody's fault. It's not the priest's fault. It <laughs> Maybe. Uh, it's not the, but, but you know, it's, it's not the priest's fault. It's not the RCI director's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's just everybody's busy. And so don't, don't be afraid to take the initiative. And, yeah. and go up to your priest and say, hey, Father, we just moved to town. We would like you to come bless our house and eat dinner with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be as simple as that, right? And then as he's, you know, take take the initiative, uh, ask him to come over, yeah. and, ask and him to eat, those types of things. And probably, especially your priest will be happy to, but probably somebody else in the church, like if they're the person, the type that's going to come up and shake your hand and want to make you feel welcome, 
that you invite them over, like they'd probably be ecstatic, you know, even sure. if they're busy and, and they have to like find a date that works. Like I know like at our church, like we, we've like, we've had a couple of things like tentatively planned and, and had to cancel because, you know, kids getting sick or something like that. But yeah, again, it's not for lack of, of friendliness. It, I think it's lack of that instant connection that mm-hmm. we sort of expect or I expected from my Baptist background where you're, the church that you went to as a Baptist was not just about theology, but a lot of times it signaled social class and it yes. signaled politics yeah. and it signaled, it signaled so many other things. Right. That when you walked in, you, in, in a way, when you walked into like First Baptist Church of whatever town, you are telling people a whole lot more about who you are than, oh, I'm, I agree with the Baptist faith and message. Right. And that's not always going to be the case if you're joining a Catholic community or an Orthodox community, especially if it's like the only one in the area, because you're walking in and you're saying, look, I believe in the real presence of, in the Eucharist. And if you're Catholic and you're like, I believe in the papacy and like, you don't really, no one really is going to automatically assume that you're right next to them or close to them on this political issue or this social issue or, or this this right. view of the world, because really one thing and kind of one thing only binds you together as a Catholic community or as an Orthodox community, um, especially when you're dealing with converts and people coming to the church. And that is, that really is theology. And that really is the the view of what the church is. And that's, sure. that's a wonderful thing. I would say the best thing to build a community around, but it can make that community more of a, takes more hard work to build it. Um, but I would say when you do build it, it's, uh, it's a much more stable thing right. because it's built on a common foundation that's not going to erode. And then all your differences of opinion that you have with those people are built into that community as strengths and features of that community Whereas when that community is built quickly, because there's a ton of points of commonality, any little change or shift can start to uh, unravel what I say, what you built, what you didn't really build, you just sort of threw together and Mm -hmm. just sort of like stuck to each other like magnets. But then as soon as one magnet starts to turn, the two pieces that were like stuck tight to each other are now pushing each other away. So, um, and, and I think there's more, to go down on that and, and to maybe look at some specific sub questions that Tori had, uh, in that as well. But before we get into that, uh, take a little break, a little breather and, uh, engage a fun topic, which we kind of did for the first 10 minutes, but, um, we'll do it again real quick. Why not? Um, Adam, what is a film or I'll broaden it a little bit, a film or a TV show. If you want to do a TV show that is not religious, like per se, not a Christian film. Mm-hmm which I'm going to think of it. I can't think of many Christian films that do what I'm about to say very well. Anyway, <laughs> But what's a film that's not a Christian slash religious film, but that nonetheless portrays religion or portrays Christianity in, in what you think is a really sort of positive and accurate way, you know, or, or engages with it seriously. Right. Does It's not there to make fun of it. Right. 
Um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna mention two, and it's not because it's just because these are the first two things that, that came to mind. One is the movie I mentioned at the beginning, Sans. Mm. Um, I really I really love the way that Mel Gibson's character wrestles with his faith, and it's it's not obviously by the end of the by the end of the film spoiler alerts uh he he goes back to his vocation as a priest but but it's not like the highlight it's it's not like there's this it's not the the movie's not about christianity right but it it respects the idea that there is this very religious man who has this traumatic thing in his life and it causes him to doubt uh, in the midst of what the film is about, right? Like mm-hmm. the aliens and, and it all plays a part in that. Um, but his, his anger towards God, lack of faith. But, but again, it's not, I mean, I don't think anybody would watch that and say it's a Christian movie. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I know some take... youth bastards who tried to stretch that, but, <laughs> but it's, uh, but it, it treats, it treats his, his, not only his struggle with respect, but it, it treats his returning to his vocation with a lot of dignity and, and respect. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a lot of movies today would probably have just let him hang, you know? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. No duh. He's doubting, you know, that God loves him or cares or that, you know, cause the world sucks and bad things happen to good people. And so, um, but it, it doesn't do that. And I really like it a little bit more on a light, lighter note and for people that like older movies uh probably the bishop's wife i really like that movie yeah, yeah uh, the old black and white one not the more modern adaptation but the old black and white one's really good again it's about an anglican priest who is trying to get his cathedral built and it's having sh- trouble keeping his job intact because of power hungry older white woman and uh <laughs> <laughs> and this angel is sent by God to answer a prayer and help him kind of get his ma- his marriage back on track and help him remember his priorities and what he's really there to do, which is, uh, you know, serve the Lord. Again, it's not like a Christian film, but it's it the characters in it that you're you're following because of this story uh, do take their faith seriously, and mm. I mean it even deals with you know angels and things like that which is and it's great it's a great great movie very funny oh yeah uh, and would highly recommend anybody pick it up and watch it if you've never yes, seen it yes that is a, is a it's a great christmas film but you could really watch it pretty much any time of year it's it's a lot of fun i've got i've got two as well one um is um and i, I mentioned this one to you the other day uh, when we were talking about sort of this topic and one is uh, a film called the uh, the way back which is uh, came out a little over a year ago. It stars Ben Affleck. It's a basketball film. The best description I've seen of that film, which I think is really, really great, is it's a sports movie except for when it knows not to be a sports movie. Mm, uh, that's good. And it's really, really great. Uh, ben Affleck is really good in it, really solid. Um, and he is a... <clears throat> in the film, he's he's a construction worker, he's an alcoholic, separated from his wife, who was this great, fantastic basketball player for the Catholic high school that he went to. And uh, the team loses its coach. And so the priest um, 
calls him up and basically asks if he'll come coach the team for like this season that's about to begin. And he doesn't want to, but he really can't think of a good reason to say no. I think a lot of it is he, he can't bring himself to tell his priest no. Um, this, you know, not that he's a, a, a churchgoer, but obviously this priest is someone that was important to him when he was younger. So I think he can't tell the priest no. Um, so he comes back, he coaches the team. Um, during his being a sports movie part, you know, he takes this team of just a bunch of kids, mostly who don't really want to play or play well and like finds their strengths and they start to come back. And it's, it's, a, it's a great sports movie, but it's also a great just movie, I think. Sure. Um, but the the priest, he's not, there are two priests in it and they don't have like, they're not major players in the story. But you, if, if this were a film that took place at like a public high school or just like a private high school that wasn't probably a Catholic high school or at least a Christian high school, the story would play out, I think, very differently. Sure. Um, and so the... the the Catholicness of that school and of those priests and ultimately of that team is an important part of the story. And really, I think an important part of the character arc that Ben Affleck's uh, character goes on through that film. And it's one where the priests are a very positive presence in the film, a very positive presence in Ben Affleck's life and the lives of those kids. And, and it's not a Christian film. It's not a preachy film. It's just like, hey, these people are Catholic, and they they behave the way a Catholic would and should in this situation. Sure, you know more or less. And and um, really one of my favorite films that I've seen over the past couple of years. Um, and and that's probably one of the reasons why because it, it takes these characters that I think other films would have felt very comfortable making them the butt of the joke or making them these massive hypocrites and instead treats them very seriously and, and makes a, the movie better because of it. Right. Um, the other film, which I just, I had not thought of this film really in years, um, but thought of it while we, while we were um, going through the, the podcast is um, a grand Torino with Clint mm. Eastwood. Yeah. And there's a priest in that film, a very young priest, um, a priest who is a little bit the butt of the joke kind of throughout the film, at, at least from Clint Eastwood's character's perspective. Right. Uh, but he very much goes on a journey in that film, just as Clint Eastwood does. And and it's been a while since I've seen it, so I may be giving it more credit than it, than it deserves. But from my memory, like it takes him as a priest very seriously even though he is not particularly a serious character. Like he's very young. Sure. I think, I think Clint Eastwood just like makes fun of him for being a virgin <laughs> at one point in the film. Like, why should I care what this virgin has to say to me about this? You don't know anything. And, and the priest is very much presented like kind of as the stereotype of what Clint Eastwood calls him. But at the same time, I, I didn't feel like the movie cheapened him as a character because of that. Like that was as much Clint Eastwood's hang up as it was mm. the priest sure. and the later there's a scene later on where the priest like very much owns the fact he's like, look, I'm young. I haven't seen all the stuff that you have. Part of me, like part of me is like, I don't really know what I'm talking about, you know, and he has a struggle that he goes through, but I, I never felt like it made the office of the priest, the joke, or it made religion, the joke, or it made right. the church, the joke, but it was just sort of like, 
the the contrast between Clint Eastwood's very old, weathered character who's very cynical, and this young priest who's very optimistic and 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 tries to be full of faith and hope, and they kind of both go through this crucible, and the priest comes out looking a little bit more like Clint Eastwood, but I would also say Clint Eastwood comes out looking a whole lot more like a little the more priest. like a priest, yeah. Um, and it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, it was a, it was a really good film. I really, really liked it. Um, when I saw it, it has some great moments. Um, but I remember coming away thinking like it treated that priest like very fairly. It made him a full character in that story. Um, and, and he had a positive impact on the flow of that story and on, you know, the main character's arc. So mm-hmm. the way back and, uh, and Gran Torino would be my, my two films uh, to pick from. Very nice. Um, so we've talked about this a little bit, um, going, going, getting back to our main question. So at least I went in a little deeper on uh, in what ways do our experiences in Catholic community and Orthodox community differ from the experiences that we had in Baptist churches? Um, but before we move on kind of to the next question, did you have anything that you wanted to add any observations to, to that point? Cause I felt like I dominated most of that, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to chime in. Uh, not, I don't, I don't think so. Not really. I think in their in their own ways and very, very different ways, a lot of Protestant churches, a lot of their community is based around evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, so telling other people about their faith. And there are some parishes in the Catholic life that focus on that, but I would say that that's probably not nearly as prevalent. Um, in in Catholic circles and Catholic parishes, uh, not to say they don't have them bazaars and things like that where the community's invited and, you know, people pray for, you know, the, the people that come in and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that that's, that's something that I can think of that makes that it's very, very different. Like in whether it was, you know, missions trips or backyard Bible schools or VBSs or, you know, those types of things, there just seemed to always be a lot of outreach yeah. in Southern Baptist life. And in the Catholic churches that I've been in up to this point, it's not that they don't have those types of things, but they're just not, they're not as often, right. I, I don't think. Um, and say what you will about it. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the Orthodox church that we visited, uh, when we lived in South Arkansas, which was a uh, Holy Nativity in, in Shreveport, Louisiana. The priest there, uh, Father Jason Foster, who was a, a big influence on on us ending up becoming Orthodox? Uh, was getting connected with him and and his um, just being able to visit with him and talk about Orthodoxy um, with him. He was comes from a southern a Southern Baptist background, and he talked about taking some of the evangelistic tactics that he knew and learned as a Southern Baptist and putting them in an Orthodox. In, in practice as orthodox as he would say he i think he said one time yeah we just took the like a block party you know like having a block party inviting all the friends all the neighbors and everything he's like yeah you know we did that all the time uh when i was at the baptist church he's like so i just you know baptized that into orthodoxy and now we use it <laughs> <laughs> um 
Which so is I, awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, it's it's it really is. cool. I feel, I, I think that maybe part of the reason why there is such a difference between the two is because, and maybe this is a caricature and I, I don't mean to be, be rude, but Protestants like to, to get somebody in, so to speak, mm-hmm. you have to sh- share the Romans road with them and get them to say a prayer. Right. Which is a large part of the emphasis that, that we kind of laid out there when we were having these events and going on these trips. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know their, their hearts in the right place. I, I think it was well meant, but we've talked about this before as Catholics and Orthodox, it's far more about it's not that simple. It's not that simple, you know? So, so even when I have noticed churches that have bazaars and, and things like that, the whole goal, rather than trying to get conversions, quote unquote, or get someone to be, to get saved mm-hmm. it, uh, with the Protestant world, those bazaars and those, um, those types of outreach programs like feeding the hungry and, and those types of things, they're far more geared towards, let me love you like Christ loved me. Right. And let me build a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And then I want to introduce you to Christ through me, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. and through the life of the church, through what we do and how we live and how we act and hopefully um, you, you, you meet Christ, you know, in a, in a tangible way. So I, I feel like not to say that Catholics couldn't learn from our Protestant uh, brothers and sisters in being a little more tenacious uh, in inviting people to, you know, be baptized and, you know, wash away your sins, which would be our version of it. Um, but I think that might be why, or at least as I've thought and contemplated about it. Yeah, no, I think so. I, I you know, the, the, it, it is so much simpler is it's easier, you know, to join a Baptist church requires very little typically sure. of the person joining it. It, it is much more akin to just joining a social club. Right. Um, and I don't mean that as an insult to Baptist churches. Maybe that's the way that some of them want it. And I know that some do like, Hey, we, we want you to know that you're welcome here. And we want, we want, we don't want you to feel like we're going to put you through the ringer before that, before we let you join us, before we welcome you. Right. But I do think you could have a church, a Catholic church, an Orthodox church, and I think ours is, has a very welcoming atmosphere if you're a guest. But you can be welcoming to someone and say, hey, we're glad you're here and, and you know, come and go through the liturgy with us. And, and at our church, we have coffee hour afterward, which is basically like a, a, a potluck meal, more or less, um, which is one one way that community is, is built in, in the Orthodox church. Um, so I think you can be very welcoming, but... But then there's that thing that we do at the end of every Sunday service that, yeah, we're going to welcome you if you're just coming off the street, but you can't come do this. Like this is, you can't come right. up and take the, take the Eucharist. Right. Um, you know, before we say the prayer before the communion and then right before the priest begins to, to offer it, the first thing he does, he like slings his, his vestment behind his shoulder. And he says, only those Orthodox Christians who have prepared themselves through prayer, fasting and confession, uh, may come in and partake. Um, you know, and, and I've, I've seen one priest like look around, it's like, you look, if you're a visitor, like, uh, we're glad to have you, but, but this isn't for you. And I think, I think that's really, 
Um, like Baptists don't do that, you know. Right. Um, have uh, uh, I remember you know growing up like Baptist missionary and probably you. Uh, I know y'all spent a lot of time like um, ABA church. I think it was yeah. like closed communion is more of a thing there. Sure. Uh, and there are some Southern Baptist churches that are that are closed communion, um, but by and large, like I, I would guess the the vast majority of Baptist churches are not closed communion anymore. Right. Um, well, and and even then, they don't have communion very often. Right. Most. Most. So often. even that moment where it might be kind awkward. of like awkward. It's it's pretty. I mean, it's it's rare in comparison. Yeah. Right. Uh, so. So if you look, so like yeah. the Baptist structure and probably other church Protestant structures too are kind of structured and built, and and I think even a lot of their outreach, like you talked about, geared towards a quick affirmation of a person. Like, look, you say the prayer. This is getting really sorry, Baptist friends. I'm not trying to to demean you, but it's a little bit like you say a prayer, you come forward one Sunday, you get dunked. You're one of us now. Right. And like our our priest in the Orthodox Church was very much like, hey, when you're ready, like we'll join, but like uh let's start this two year process. Yeah, make sure you're yeah. ready. Like we're gonna <laughs> right. go through this because it's like it's kind of like look, Orthodox, we're weird, like we do weird things. Uh, we venerate icons like, uh, you know, we, we fast, um, you know what you're getting into before you get into it, because from from the Orthodox perspective, if you join and then back out, like that's really, really bad. You know, if not saying that it's it's bad if you just like drag your feet and never get there. But like God's drawing you as he's going to draw you as he draws you. But if you run to God and then you run away like an orthodoxy, that's a more serious thing where we kind of, where we do actually believe like, yeah, you can walk away from your salvation and the Baptists don't typically worry about that. Right. Um, so, you know, if you, it's, you know, him who believe, said he believed, I don't remember the exact verse, but you know, to those that have tasted the divine spirit in Hebrews, it talks about, and then fallen yeah. away, like they're worse than before. There's some right. verses like, yeah, there's no help for them now. They've, they've seen life, and they've rejected it, and it's kind of like now they're screwed because there's not any other life besides the one that they just said they don't want anything to do with. Right. But um, what one aspect um, of, of communal life of Orthodox, and I think of Catholicism as well, kind of before we get to, to what I think will probably be the last bit of Tori's question, um, one part that I think is good, that I really like, that I think is meaningful, and that we we really got deprived of for a year with COVID is uh, there, there's a lot of community built uh, at coffee hour on Sundays uh, after you've gone through church and you've had the liturgy. Now everybody gets to go break their fast. Everybody broke their fast taking of the Eucharist. Now everybody gets to go eat. And that's sort of a, a communal thing. Like we were all super hungry in there. Right. <laughs> you know, we it's it's eleven o'clock and none of us have eaten. You know, we're all very hungry now. Right. Um, but but broader than that and bigger than that is like the count the feast calendar. Um mm, like sure. the calendar of the church when you have these major feasts that you come together and commemorate, and sometimes you have a more formal meal afterwards, especially like at Pascha and, and at Nativity. Um to me, those are those are like big, huge milestones, and I know like 
Baptists celebrate Easter, and I know they celebrate Christmas, but it's not the same. Because, like, in Orthodoxy and in Catholicism, like, you get to Easter, you get to Pascha by going through Lent. And, like, nobody likes Lent. Lent is the worst. It's great for your soul. It's terrible for your 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 attitude <laughs> for mine because you're really grumpy um and so when you get through that and you get to like after uh after you know the vigil you get to go and have like this massive feast with the people that have gone through lent <coughs> with you like that's sure it's kind of like one moment in a year but that's a big moment like th- that's right. a shared experience that goes way beyond like a 4th of a July potluck or a post Christmas cantata, uh, finger food reception, which I loved as Baptist, but those were like nice moments, but it wasn't anything like the, the feast we had after Pascha this year. Right. And, and Pascha's the main one, like Pentecost, uh, we don't have a big feast after Pentecost, but like nativity, those, those are not just sort of, nice moments where you dress up and you go to church with your family, like on that one Sunday or that one service and you take pictures, like you endure stuff to get to nativity. Sure. You know, you endure stuff to get to Pascha and you know that people that are in that liturgy with you are also enduring stuff. Now, not everybody's going to fast the exact same way. Um, but you know, they're fasting from something, uh, you know, they're fasting in some way, um, and so it, to me, that's, it's sort of like a silent unspoken bond, but especially like as parents too, uh, I think Kelly and I have found like this sort of camaraderie with other parents, like, man, this is really hard to kind of fast with our children and tell them like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not going to have, um, pepperonis on our pizza cause it's Friday and we don't eat meat on Friday. Um, or, or to teach them how to fast through Lent, like those those things build community in in some really solid, almost traumatic ways. <laughs> right. That I think are unique to to faith communities and faith traditions like Orthodoxy and Catholicism. And I don't have, in all my years as a Baptist, I don't have any analogous experience in my Baptist upbringing to compare to that. Sure. All right, so uh, so the last little bit of this question, I think it'll take us a couple minutes, then we'll we'll wrap up because we're going a little long. But uh, Tori asked, like, what are the types of things that you have found uh, have made kind of community possible in the Catholic Orthodox structure, or uh, because we are sort of coming out of the long extended COVID winter, <clears throat> things that we see as signs of hope in that direction. So we've both talked a little bit about kind of the uphill battle of building community in part because we've moved and we've relocated and, and, you know, it can just be hard. But when you think about what is good and, and what has been really beneficial in the community that you have built with other Catholics, either at your parish or other Catholics that you know, and can stay connected with around the state, mm-hmm. like what are the, what's unique about those that have made them worthwhile and good and healthy that you think and hope will translate, you know, maybe more and more within the parish and within the the local church itself, if that makes sense. I think so. You go first. Okay. So, um, so for me, uh, one part is, and I, I talked earlier about how 
a lot of us are converts and that's one sort of point of commonality, but also it, it's different because we've all, we're all, our journeys are all different and we don't have as many, um, we, we didn't pass as many of the same signposts on our journey. Um, it's like if you and your friend are both going, uh, to summer camp and you're going in different cars, um, but you're leaving from more or less the same area. When you both get to summer camp, you can talk about, oh, did you see the great big ball of yarn on the way there? Like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, well, when I saw it, I knew we were almost at summer camp. Yeah, when I saw it, I knew we were almost there too. And so for us, the people that are at our church have come from a lot of different backgrounds. And so... Mm -hmm we didn't all see the big ball of yarn on our way to orthodoxy, if that makes sense. But I do enjoy sitting down. And when I've had a conversation with someone hearing about, this is probably going to sound a little weird, but hearing other people talk about how hard it was, um, because it was hard. It was really hard for us. Um, and to know that, Oh, it, it wasn't just hard for us. Like there are other people who they made that change and like they lost friends along the way too, or they made that change. And there were some family members or extended family members who thought they were really weird because they did mm -hmm. that. Sure. Um, that has been, I don't, I don't say nice because it's not really nice. Other people go through that, but that's been, I guess a little reassuring and sort of a, 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 a part of connection. Um, Another one uh, for me is like uh, Watson, my seven-year-old has started serving in the altar. Um, and that's now like I look, it's like, okay, well, look, here's the other kids in the altar. There's, here's their dad. I'll go talk to him because we both have kids that serve in the altar now. And that's sort sure. of a point of commonality. Um, but for me, kind of the, the biggest thing or one of the biggest things of like, even on days when it's hard and days when sometimes we leave church, and I'm like, I don't know that I really talked to much of anybody except my kids. And the only thing I said to my kids was stop moving, be quiet, watch the priest, cross yourself. <laughs> or during coffee hours, like, no, you may not have another cookie or you spilled it. You can clean it up. Um, is there is a, for me, there's a great sort of deep abiding peace and contentment uh, that I feel every time we line up to go take the Eucharist and we take the Eucharist and then we go into the fellowship hall and, and, you know, we get our coffee and we get our, our food. And even though I don't have a whole lot of points of connection with everybody yet, I feel very confident that I will eventually make friends, <laughs> even though I don't make friends super easily, because all of us there have agreed on this very, very important thing. Sure. And my thought is, look, if we agree on that and we all got to this point from different perspectives and on different journeys, I'm going to, like, I'm going to sit down across from this person and have a conversation and I don't really know him that well. And I don't know what he's going to say when I ask a question. But I'm going to, I know the thing that connects us is really, really strong. And so we may not hit it off right away, but hey, we'll try and talk again later. 
because we're both going to be here again later because to kind of paraphrase the disciples, where else can we go for the words of life? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's probably sort of bland and boring, but, but I find that sort of bland and boring thing very reassuring because it's so incredibly stable. Right. I would encourage, uh, you Tori or anybody else that's listening just to remember that we live in a world that's so fast paced that it's easy to kind of transfer that into our community building. And just like what you said, Brian, like there's this, there's this, like this abiding sense that because you're a part of a church that is ancient and that has been here since Christ and has continued that not to say you should ever be lax in your journey of becoming more like Christ and loving your neighbor and, you know, drawing closer to your fellow Christians and and all that stuff. But at the same time, it takes the pressure off a little bit because it's like, okay, I, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to have it all figured out before I am obedient to follow mm-hmm. Jesus. And if I'm obedient and I follow Jesus, I can, I can kind of rest assured that he's going to, he's going to lead me to those friendships over time that I need to help me get through. Um, and it's just, it's really nice. You know, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've noticed that a lot of the friends that I have that are deeply Catholic and then have encouraged me in my walk, there's not a lot, but they've come at the right moments. Mm. You know, they've come at the right times when I really needed that encouragement and I really needed somebody to kind of remind me that, uh, the things about my faith that I had fallen in love with and that led me to Catholicism in the first place or areas that I knew I needed to grow in mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth. So that community is just kind of, it is built slowly, but, but it's been consistent. Yeah. And I kind of to touch on something I mentioned a little earlier, I also, I really do see, so for, for some, again, I can only speak from my own experience. So for someone like me that is more traditionally minded and it really is, a little difficult to try to find other people that have that like minded uh, attitude towards the tradition of the church. I, I, I do see this. I'm going to sound very like, I don't know, Baptist, but I, 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 I see God's spirit moving in these areas. Sounds like something I used to would have said as a Baptist, (laughs) you know, where, where it does seem to be that God is, tugging at people's hearts and drawing them uh, to to more reverence and to more respect and for for the for the sacraments and for being devoted to go into confession I, I can go to confession and I can see families with little kids and teenagers and college students all lined up to go to confession and it's such an encouraging thing mm-hmm. because I know from speaking to priests that that is not always the case you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's not always been the case where it was that much a part of the life of the church, you know, because it goes through seasons, right? So I, I really do feel like we're in a season right now where God is tugging at the hearts of people to, to begin to take their faith seriously again and not just let Catholicism be a, a cultural moniker that they wear or a family heirloom that they kind of lug around because, you know, you don't want to piss off grandma. Yeah. But, but something that, Oh, my, you know, 
man, this world really doesn't have much to offer that I need. Mm. You know, I really do need Christ. I really do need the sacraments. I really do need, uh, I really do need Jesus. And so that, that is encouraging to me. And as, and as COVID is, started to kind of relax a little bit. I'm starting to see it again. You know, like I, I was starting to see glimpses of it before, but uh, after COVID and maybe maybe partly because of COVID, honestly, because sometimes you don't realize how much you need something until it's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. And you feel like you've kind of been denied that uh, a bit. But um, so that that is encouraging. Uh, if, that, if that answers the question, I, I feel like I see an uptick in people that, they're starting to like, oh my, you know, I, I need to take this seriously. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's kind of fun. I'm actually, I was invited, our, our landlord that lives next to us actually invited me to something on Thursday nights. So I think this week I'm going to try to go where it really is. It, all it is is a group of young people that joined the church over the last couple of years and then just kind of disappeared and all like within months of each other came back to, to my landlord and said, Hey, um, and independently of each other, said, "Hey, we we really need to start taking this thing seriously." So it's it's kind of fun, you know, to see and to hear about things like that, uh, where where God does seem to be moving and, and reaching out to people yeah, and drawing yeah. them back to Himself. So, yeah, it's um, it can be jarring um, to go from a a Protestant or especially like a Baptist community. Uh, like a Baptist church to like to a, a Catholic or, or an Orthodox church because um, there's not that sort of immediate sense of community and like, Oh, you're here, you're one of us. And, and it can take longer to, to build and it can take um, and, and part, I think because you're new to the group and you're learning the language and you're kind of learning the expectations and the social cues. It's right. like, you know, it's like going from, it really is sort of a culture shock, um, I think, but it's so, there's a little bit, I think of a, a less, once you kind of get over that shock, um, for me, I kind of realized how much pressure the Baptist sort of sense of community put on me. And, and again, I was also a pastor, but it's like when you go to church as a Baptist, it's like you got to have your game face on. You got to be happy. You got to look a certain way because part of your church experience is being friends with people. And if you don't look right, like it, it, it inhibits that. Whereas, mm. you know, I felt much less pressure as an Orthodox to sort of put on a happy face when I go to church in days where it's just like, things kind of suck and I'm not happy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to go to church anyway, because I don't go to church to be happy. I don't really go to church to make friends. I go to church because like you said, I need the sacraments and I need Jesus and Jesus is in his church. So I go right. even right. on days where I'm, I'm grumpy and my kids are misbehaving and, and maybe even Kelly and I are a little out of sorts and I would just as soon not be seen in public when to me, it's probably obvious on my face that I'm grumpy and that my kids don't want to do anything that I say, but it's like church is church and we got to go because as, as my four-year-old puts it, cause there's the body and blood and right. you got to have the body and blood. You got, you got to have it. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it can lend itself to there being awkward Sundays. Um, 
and being hard Sundays. But to me, it, it lends itself more to what the church is, is truly meant to be and the good hard work of community will come. And it is good hard work, I think, more so in Catholic and Orthodox circles, or it can be. Um, but the community that you build, I think, and I haven't been here that long, but it has a more rewarding kind of flavor to it. Especially like you mentioned, as you see God nudging other people towards the same thing and towards Mm -hmm. the same, look, we need to build, especially coming out of this year where we didn't have it. Look, we need to build this thing back up because we realize sort of how fragile it can be or really like how maybe it really wasn't there. And then when we didn't see each other every Sunday, we realized, oh, we don't really have much of community. It was all kind of superficial. We need to build this up so it's going to survive whatever comes next. Right. So, um, yeah. So I hope that answers the question. Uh, I really enjoyed sort of reflecting on it and, and what it, how it's been good and how it's been hard um, for us coming from our, uh, from our Baptist circles and Baptist backgrounds. Um, yeah. I hope we didn't scare anybody off or tell anybody. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Being Catholic well, and Orthodox is, is weird. And, well. and, you know, Tori, I hope we answered your questions. If for some reason we didn't, uh, or there was something that you wanted some more clarity on, just reach back out and we'll try to clarify at the beginning of the next episode if we can. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, and anybody else, honestly, that uh, we're super grateful that uh, we've gotten some feedback. We, we like this. We enjoy it. We like to know that people are listening. So don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, think Twitter, right? Yeah, and we have a Twitter, Brian, uh, and email at this uh, is it thisereticallife at gmail dot com. Yeah, thisereticallife at gmail dot com. Yeah, got an email address there. So, anybody wants to reach out and holler at us, we'd appreciate it. Love to hear from you, Brian. Yeah. It's been fun. It has been. Thanks again, Adam, for uh, for getting on here and carving out a hour and a half or so to have a conversation. Always worthwhile and enjoyable. Thank you so much, Internet audience, for uh, for listening along at at one time speed. We would pre- we hope, but if you had to listen to it at one and a half or two times speed to get through all of it, we certainly understand and we don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, until next time, Internet. Good night, Adam. Good night, man. And uh, we'll talk when we talk. All right. See you later. Yeah. So that was a fun discussion, but you know. There probably are some people that's just been hitting the 30 second skip forward button waiting for us to get to the point.